0: You are listening to the Dental Practice Owners Podcast, brought to you by Prosperident. From our unique perspective as dentistry's embezzlement experts, Prosperidon's team can bring you the information that is important to practice owners. The Dental Practice Owners Podcast brings you strategies, tools, and tips that you can use and dentistry's thought leaders as guests. So sit back, relax, and listen to Prosperident's Amber Weber. Wendy Askins and David Harris talk about the issues that matter to you.
1: Well, hi, everybody.
2: So we love to share our stories to our dental community. Um, And tonight we're sharing an amazing story hidden in plain sight So, you know, this is a case that uh, my dear friend and colleague completed, and I can't wait to hear the entire story. Most of our webinars last about one and a half, uh, one point, uh, an hour and a quarter, 1.25 hours. And we will have a &A, Q&A session at the end, and then we also have a chat box. So we hope that you can stay for the entire webinar, but if you can't, we do record these and you'll be able to look at this uh, around Tuesday. As always, our great friends with Altura Periodontics allow us to provide a continuing education for those of you who attend. So I'm super excited to hear this great story and thank you everybody for being part of our audience.
1: All right, well, uh, I get the honor of introducing a couple of special people. And I'm going to start with uh, our, our uh, outside guest for tonight, who's Dr. David Hughes. Um, David is an orthodontist in Virginia. Um, I, I I can say, having gotten to know him, that it, he he is a, a a truly wonderful guy. Um, we we met when he phoned me, and he said, "I think I might have a problem." There he is. I think I might have a problem with my office manager. And he told me a little bit of the story, and after he did, I agreed with him that um, there was likely a problem, and then um, we we started investigating, and you're going to hear the results of that today. Um, David has uh, become a, a, a real evangelist, I think would be a good word, for um, protecting your practice and and not going through what what he went through, which was extraordinarily difficult and of course we we really appreciate him sharing his story with you tonight um our second special guest is somebody uh you you probably already know um and she's one of our on camera people but she's here in a little different capacity tonight and this is Wendy Askins and um I, I again you you know her as as our uh very urbane uh well-spoken host on on camera but uh, here are some other things about Wendy. Uh, first of all, she's what's called a supervising examiner here, and we have we have three levels of examiner. Supervising examiner is the very top, so that means that Wendy handles some of our uh, our, our most difficult, challenging cases, and and has done so for a long time. Uh, she's been with us. Uh, I think Wendy next month is eleven years, if if I count that correctly, mm-hmm. and. Um, she has a couple of distinctions here at Prosperity. She has found more embezzled dollars than any other investigator here. And that's saying something because we, you know, we've got some some big cases from time to time. The second thing is Wendy has more letters of commendation from clients than any other investigator. So she's uh, she's she's really a legitimate top gun. Uh she's also an MBA and uh has earned the certified fraud examiner designation. Uh, before Wendy came to us, she, um, I said 10 plus years here, Wendy, but I think it may have been a little more than that. I just didn't want to really telegraph your age. Um, mm-hmm. but before she came to us, she ran a multi practice, multi doctor, uh, orthodontic business. And, and so she's got a, a, a very deep orthodontic pedigree. Uh, so that's the, the, the stuff you might not know about Wendy. Um, but now what, what we're going to do is we're going to turn, uh, turn the podium over to to David and Wendy and uh the way we do this and those of you who have been with us in, in in previous kind of case presentations like this know this uh we we have some recorded video but we also have uh both both Wendy and David here with us live so we'll play the recordings and then they'll they'll likely chat about them a little bit um and and just to emphasize what Amber said we've got um both chat and Q&A open so if you have a question for the panel use the Q&A um, if if you want everybody to see, use the chat. So the first question that was asked was, well, what caused suspicion here in the first place? It frankly was not on my radar um, in my
3: practice for the first several years. I was very busy focusing on the patients and trying to establish my, myself in the dental community. I had this very high level of trust in my financial systems in the office. And because I bought a practice um, just a year and a half after residency, I really had not learned how to run a practice from the financial aspect. Started working with a, an orthodontic consultant, who was um, kind of a game changer in helping me establish um, less of a mom and pop business and more of a professional level practice. I. Gave this very high level of trust to this um, office administrator, and I—I I frankly turned my attention away from the business in terms of what was happening with the financial resources of the business as they flowed through the practice. My office manager just started behaving differently and um, not coming to work every day and acting. Depressed and anxious, and staying after work a lot and being sick a lot, and not, I felt like there was something going on
1: with her. So, change in behavior was a big thing. Yes. I
3: mean, obviously, we uncovered some very easily identified problems, some transactions that were not authorized. That's what triggered the investigation, but, um, she was present at a consulting um, event, or I should say a meeting and the consultant that I work with, um, an orthodontic consultant that I work with, read her behavior also and said that she's overcompensating. She's she's trying to telegraph extreme loyalty and there's no reason to do that. There's something wrong. She's trying to cover something up. You need to go home and look at your accounts payable. Your so while I was focused on production and collections and everything that we as business owners were worried about the business staying afloat or being profitable. So we look at the incoming funds and we don't look at how it gets diverted potentially. So that opened a floodgate of discovery and it was beyond upsetting. And um, just as way of introduction, I. I don't love talking about this, but I love helping other people avoid it, if I can, because it's truly horrible to deal with the aftermath. The, the key is prevention.
1: Absolutely. Um, and one thing I'll say about the consulting community is that we get, first of all, a lot of referrals or questions from consultants, and and also every consultant has a story about you know I was working in this practice and there was somebody there who really didn't want me there. And, you know, we called prosperity, and we dug a little bit deeper into it. And, you know, there was something behind it. I mean, just before we went live tonight, Amber and I were talking about one of her cases. And it's a similar kind of story. You know, there was a consultant who sensed that things weren't right and got us involved. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of unfolding from there. Um, I guess, David, we should let the audience meet your, uh, your adversary in this. Right. So, This is my
3: former office manager who I originally met as a mother of two patients. Um, You know, you could say she's a, it's hard to see anything different about her. Um, She doesn't read as someone who's up to no good. Um, Military spouse, college educated, very high functioning in the administrative areas can really take care of the back office in a way that freed me up to see patients. So she worked for me for 11 years. And I would say for the first, I want to say five years, she was really key to to being part of a growth spurt in, during which time we renovated and expanded the office and really Took what was originally a smaller practice that I had bought into something of a different size and scope. So I was very happy with the relationship because of that history. But then it was that that second half of her tenure there, where everything just was falling apart. And I I would work with her and talk to her about what was going on, and she passed it off as being health problems, and I don't know. Anyway, it's um. The key to this slide is just that you can't see or even detect the motivations of people sometimes. And it's better just to have safeguards and assume that the unpredictability of human behavior has to be built into your system. And you can always, you can say that your checks and balances are dictated by your insurance or the accountants require that I do this or I have to look at this because if I don't, I'll get in trouble with the accountant. You can make, it doesn't have to, there's no reason why you have to hesitate to look carefully at primary documents and everything that's going on. She um, she was good at creating a layer of detachment between me and the, and the data She would kind of create a, a report system. It was a secondary kind of doctored set of numbers. So I felt like I was looking at the information, but she had manipulated those figures. Wow.
1: And then, of course, the obvious question is why why she did it. let's let's hear what David said earlier.
3: And as the investigation continued, I was I was floored, absolutely floored by the extent of the embezzlement and the the breadth of complexity of the multiple strategies being used in payroll and the company credit cards and the cash payments that were being diverted and the the mirroring of things that we like vendors and suppliers that we use. There were parallel accounts set up so that the credit card statement would have recognizable vendors, but those purchases were actually going toward personal purchases. And Amazon, there was an Amazon account that was opened for the office, but it wasn't actually the office account. It was under the control of the office manager. It's every conceivable way of stealing funds from the office. And also there was there was a line of credit and, an, and another loan Multiple loans were opened under the auspices of this a renovation, but the the line of credit, like the money, was being stolen. It was basically a credit. I
1: was being mugged. Wendy, you were on the front lines of this.
4: Um, well, I I was going to ask if I could speak to the magnitude that David Hughes is is uh, talking about. You know, generally, when we do an embezzlement case, we'll find one main area of finances that the thief will focus on, be it revenue or be it expenses. Um, with this particular individual, she targeted revenue, expenses, and payroll, all three of them. Now, although there were three categories of finances there were different strategies within each category, which is where the complexity that David Hughes is is talking about comes from. So for example, um, on the revenue side, there was one main methodology that she used. On the expense side, there were four, maybe more, um, and then on the payroll side, there was also four. It, it, and I I so wish that we could go into the depth of how this particular theft was committed. Um, because one thing I, I think it's very important for people to know is that Dr. David Hughes is a brilliant businessman. Um, and people who go through embezzlement sometimes are placed in a separate category of, you know, you're, you're not paying attention to your business or, well, you don't really know your numbers. That's absolutely not true with Dr. Hughes. Absolutely. He's a very good businessman. And yet the things that she did were so crafty and so complicated you would have to be a fraud examiner to be able to figure it out.
1: Well, thank thank goodness you're uh, you're, you're you're one of the most skilled I've ever met. Um, a couple of takeaways here that that I get from this. First of all, we, we most embezzlers who we see use three methods, and I think Wendy just said that she saw nine, um, which is
4: oh you know, yeah, and don't don't forget, Doctor Hughes just discovered one this another one this week. I mean,
1: it's still going on. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're up to a nice even 10. Um, in the second thing that comes across is that, like most thieves, it seems like the thief in this case knew the pattern of her doctor really well and designed her theft patterns carefully to, uh, kind of e- evade his, his reasonable scrutiny. In other words, I think the message for the audience is that, you know, David is not somebody who we would categorize as being asleep at the switch. And you know, this all happened because he ignored his finances. The opposite, we we would consider him to be a very uh, adept operator of a practice. And even then, it happened. Sorry, David, we're talking about you like you're a slab of cow there. But um, <laughs> you know, any, no, anything you want to disagree with?
3: Well, I will assure you that I've spent many hours, usually in the middle of the night, beating myself up about how this happened. And um, I I checked a lot of things by asking her to run through. We had like these little meetings where I would have her run through everything and show me charts and numbers. Like I said earlier, um, the key is just to, as I said earlier, just prevent. There's no remedy for this after it happens. You you won't get restitution in most cases. Um, David Harris will tell you that his clients rarely see the money that was that's disappeared. Um, you won't get your peace of mind back very soon, and it's just a it's a seemingly endless disruption. So,
1: yes the the the, the vaccination is much better than the cure here for sure. Yeah. Um, what I say about about restitution is that every dentist gets something back. Uh and relatively few get it all back. Um and I and I think in this case, uh David did receive some money from, from the thief. Uh, it wasn't a lot. And I, I assume you also got some some modest amount of insurance recovery as well. Um
3: that's another curiosity, is that oh okay. Insurance insurance doesn't cover this very well. Um so anyway, that insurance was not a, a factor for me. Okay, so
1: um, but the all right.
3: the key is that embezzlers spend a lot of careful time with what they're doing. It's a drip drip every day, and it's hidden and concealed in the same careful methodical everyday kind of way, so it's it's very difficult to unravel it later and figure it out unless you have unless you have Wendy
1: <laughs> unless you have Wendy um well we're we're, we're both glad that uh, that that we get to share her um the the other thing too that i say a lot and it it really applies i think squarely in this case is that embezzlement is a very unequal battle in other words the thief has a lot of advantages over the doctor and that's that's one thing that we saw in this case so Let's ask the obvious question: uh, Why did Lisa do this?
3: So, doctors yeah, do, as I've learned, is that they they convince the doctor that they're irreplaceable, and that's a that's an absolute red flag for people that know better and are alert to this. And believe me, I beat myself up about all of these these di- different weaknesses that I had and were obvious to her, but she saw that. I was watching certain things and not other things. And honestly, the embezzlement went on for about five years. It just things were not adding up to me, but she would always say, Oh, it's, it's understandable. Or, you know, the costs have gone up and you have an associate and we're just the overhead is different. And I said, Well, where's the pie chart? Show me the overhead. And she was very evasive about that because a lot of the numbers that we were turning into the, um, the consultant and the numbers that she was showing me were all either about the income of the practice, which I believe was correct, but the expenses and all these other things were actually fabricated. I was being shown secondary documentation. This was reports, fabricated reports, and the primary documents of the bank, bank statements, credit card statements, payroll details, those were dismissed as, oh, you don't want to get in the weeds with that. I'll just show you the numbers. These are the numbers. We're doing great. Let's just keep working. And you see the patients, so I'll work with, with everything else. And
1: yeah.
4: um, again, I yeah. can, can I go on on David's story? Um, One thing I love about working at Prosperitan is that we get to see some very private insights to our clients because they're in a very vulnerable place when they're working with us. And also they basically splay open their financials to us, which is a very sensitive topic for everyone. One thing that I remember that hurt me so deeply is that there were some communications that had gone back and forth between David Hughes and Lisa Enzalm. And I saw even the manipulation in those responses that she was giving him. So for example, she first, when, when the subject was first broached with her, there was this defensiveness and then she immediately started blaming him, you know, saying, I even wrote down the phrases, phrases like you weren't there. Everything I did for you after everything I did for you, I'm not sure where you would be if it weren't for me. Um, And to to David's credit. He was so kind And so well-tempered during his responses to her, it it actually amazed me. Of course, at that time, we didn't know the extent of what the theft would be. But he knew it was happening. But he was still very measured and very kind to her. And to me, it says a lot about him and his character to be that measured. Um, Another thing that I noticed through reading is that when the tactics of manipulation weren't working on him anymore then she changed and she became outright nasty i mean just 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 some very mean things um that she had said and again david was very measured um and one thing that I was hoping that maybe you could address David Harris is that upon confrontation in the beginning, she offered him, I think one hundred and sixty thousand dollars from her retirement plan immediately immediately. and yeah. Dr. Hughes kept saying, you know, I need to do some more research on this before before we make any type of agreement. I need to speak with legal counsel. I need to speak with other professionals before I agree to accept this. So I'm not agreeing to accept it right now. David Harris, can you tell our audience why that is so important?
1: Absolutely. Um, and great question, Wendy. Most most thieves uh, under report, you know, if if they're confessing, they under confess to what they're stealing. And, uh, those of you who were with us a couple of months ago when we presented a case that, that Amber Weber Gonzalez had done, um, saw that graphically because the, the thief confessed on video to stealing $25,000. And the real number, Amber, if memory serves me, was about 171000 Uh, and, and thieves always under confess or under report. And I think sometimes it's because they've lost track. And of course, also because they're trying to minimize punishment, and one of the best ways to minimize punishment is to um, to to lay out not what you did, but what you think somebody else would believe. So, if you're in the position that David Hughes was in, and you're offered a settlement, uh, if you accept it without knowing the real numbers, I and mean, you're just you're you're, you're just uh, like like a, a sightless person uh, in, in in a dark room uh you have no idea whether the amount you're being offered correlates or or doesn't to what was stolen from you and uh from from our experience in this case and and also with amber's case and others uh we know that that what's being put in front of you probably is not what you lost right but yeah, kind of classic manipulations. And I'll tell the audience too, one of the most manipulative questions that, that a thief can ask you is, don't you trust me, doctor? Um, you know, that's, that's passive-aggressive manipulation at its finest. Um, um, and um, as I said that earlier, the, the the real impetus to get this investigated came from a consultant uh i do see somebody from that consulting firm is uh, is is in the audience uh karen Moad, welcome uh great to have you with us uh so let's let uh, let let david tell a little bit of the story of the involvement of the of the consultants here my consultant was with me
3: and my office manager at a meeting and my office my my consultant said there's something very wrong here this your office manager is acting strange and she's she seems to be trying to cover her tracks in some way and deflect attention away from something i need you to go back and look at your accounts
1: payable and you did david and what did you find
3: well i found some problems right away well actually to be honest um I started the investigation with your team, David. And it was in the first um, fact-finding inquiry to my accountant. My accountant called me within 24 hours and asked me if there was any explanation for this one large check that had been written recently. It was a forged check Mm. and then that snowballed into many other problems, but it was the the initial investigation. And as many of you might know, Prosperident has the capability of creating a a clone of the office server and going through it in d- great detail without having to um, disrupt office operations or or reveal what they're doing to someone who still might be on payroll. But I, yeah. I found out on a Tuesday evening what was going on and or Monday night, maybe, and let my office manager know that she wasn't to come to work for the rest of the week until I figured some things out. And that's when she was sending all those very strange messages. She was panicking, I suppose. But then I had to use a I didn't fire her in the normal way. I had to use legal counsel to terminate her, create a a do not trespass order. It was it was quite a whirlwind week but it was really only the beginning and it's still going on. That was four years ago and the case isn't even finished in the criminal system because of COVID mainly.
1: Yeah. I I think if, if I remember, uh, she has pled guilty and is now awaiting sentencing. Is that where you are roughly? That is true. Yes. But again, let's give a shout out to the consulting community in general and, and Hummingbird associates specifically and Hummingbird if you're not familiar with the name, is an orthodontic uh, practice consulting company that's been around for a very long time and and has a, a great reputation in the in the community.
3: Yes, so, thank you, Karen. If you're there, thank you, Karen. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. Um, so, you know, consultants uh, are are in in more than a few cases, kind of if I can use another bird analogy, the the canaries in the coal mine who will uh, who who will sense the danger and and, and let the doctor know and uh, that was certainly the case here my cons- and then of course we get to the subject of trust and uh something that we hear a lot as as the investigators is that you know the person stealing was the most trusted person in the office and my answer to that is you know, it's kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy i mean if you're not able to gain that amount of trust from the doctor you typically don't get the access to steal but uh, david had some some very interesting comments about the whole the whole question of trust and, and and lisa the thief and let's hear what he said
3: i kind of um because by then things were busy i i just kind of cut and paste that level of trust to the new person um making additional assumptions of integrity based on the fact that she was one of the moms in the practice, she was from a military family. Her husband was working in the Pentagon. I just, I had other military spouses as staff members, and they, in my experience, they, they have a very high level of integrity, um, and a sense of duty and resiliency with having to move so many times. They're just, um, I think special people. And I, I ascribe that to this employee of mine. Um in retrospect, um, very mistakenly
1: um i' I'll, I'll make the opening comment here. you know, life is a lot easier when you can convince yourself that you should trust the people around you. and a lot of times people will revert to some kind of rule to convince themselves that that people around them should be trusted. and David mentioned the military spouse one and um, there are others when the the previous case that we did with with Amber and uh, Dr. Mark Saladin um, Mark knew the the thief in that case from church and Mark is a, a a fairly religious guy I think and he just assumed that anybody who you know went to his church and and at least overtly shared those values with him uh, should be trustworthy and the reality, I think David is something different.
3: Yeah. And I think um, another thought I had earlier today in, in anticipation of this meeting tonight is that some people in, in uh, positions of responsibility in busy businesses, even though dental offices can be relatively small businesses, there can be a lot of cash flow through the business with the a lot of income but also a lot of expenses and I think that if someone isn't used to that level of responsibility they they misinterpret or they they twist the responsibility into something closer to like a power um mm-hmm. it's like it's not that they have responsibility they have power and power does strange things to people so seeing and like, shepherding money through the practice if you feel responsible then it goes well but if you feel powerful then you're like well i'm part of this and i deserve to be in on it i don't know it's i'm i try if, to be an amateur psychologist and it's it's just guessing i don't know but no no i like the, i i
1: i think you're onto something um, and, and I think a lot of thieves, David construct a partnership, you know, they, they view themselves as your partner and that they're integral to your success. And then the next thing they decide is that, and he's not really rewarding me properly for that. Um, right. And, you know, they, but they, they construct this, this otherwise unrecognized partnership in their head. And then they, they take what they think you should be paying them. Right. And even when
3: um when we tabulated the losses, Wendy even changed the like the pay on the payroll side, we even changed the salary that she thinks she should have been getting, and then still came up with the losses above that so um I'm not sure where where I'm going with that. it's just that um she thought perhaps that she was owed more, but she went way overboard because of the whatever feeling she had about getting away with it. It just opened the <laughs> floodgates and it accelerated. There's actually, it was not a geometric curve of fraud. It was like accelerating over time. It was worse every year during the years that she was doing it.
2: Yeah. I've, I noticed that in some of my cases and even the one we talked about on our last webinar you started to see a, a climb, right? It's like each month a little bit more and um, not as fearful that something was going to happen.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a good part of it, Amber. And the other part is too, that people's lifestyles tend to climb to reach their incomes. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if the point of stealing is you're trying to get uh, a, a little bit ahead of what you're spending, and if you st- consistently steal $1,000 a month, then at some point your your living expenses have sort of moved up to that thousand dollars, and now you need to steal more to, to stay in front of it. Right. Uh, so so it tends to be cumulative. Um the next slide is pretty interesting, and um something that we say often is that um dentists think that their accountants are doing more to combat the problem of embezzlement than they really are. And 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 David kind of Found that out the hard way and he's going to tell us about it I felt vulnerable
3: and I asked my accountants for an audit just to because there was a lot of money flowing in and out of the practice for the purpose of the you know the the debt service on this expansion um renovation I just wanted to make sure that there were eyes on all of those transactions and it was weird I don't remember their response precisely but they basically declined. Like that wasn't really their role, I guess in their eyes. And years later when the embezzlement was discovered, I spoke with David Harris at at, um, Prosperident, and he enlightened me to the fact that accountant services are in a tiered system of responsibility. Accountants are really there to properly handle the numbers that you provide them they're not there to verify your numbers or to babysit your practice because of the QuickBooks that we were sending to them with all of the expenses and the credit card statements and the checks and everything I assumed that they were aware or at least watching something and I I just I don't know why I thought I just didn't understand
1: yeah you know what what people sometimes don't grasp about the way that dental practice accounting is kept is that you have two sides you have the revenue side which is patient payments and insurance payments and you have the expense side like payroll and rent and stuff like that and what's different about a dental practice from most other businesses is that those two are tracked in different pieces of software so most businesses use a single piece of software something like quickbooks that looks after both revenue and expenses, but that wouldn't work very well in dentistry because you need to bill insurance and use CDT codes and, and all the kind of specialized parts of the revenue side. So you have this bifurcation between two different pieces of software. What the accountants look at typically is QuickBooks. They spend very little, which really means probably no time looking at your practice management software. And yet, in most theft, that's where the bodies are buried. Um, And Dave, I like to
2: tell clients that um, there's like a gray area between your practice management software and what your QuickBooks or your accountant, sometimes it can be muddy waters and and you really start diving deep.
1: It absolutely is. And again, most accountants in in doing their work, they don't actually need to look at your practice management software and they really don't have any expertise. And in, in fairness to the accountants, there are You know, a hundred plus types of practice management software out there. And it would be a little bit unrealistic to even if an accountant specialized in dental practices, it would be a little bit unrealistic for them to learn all of the practice management software that, that, that their clients use. So to them, the practice management software is really a black box and the black box produces a number and that number goes into QuickBooks and the accountants spend very little time. Again, probably really no time looking at where that number comes from or or whether it is in fact accurate and i think david that's that's kind of um you know you realized i think at some point that there was an expectation gap between what you thought the accountants were doing and what they actually were able to do
3: right and when i asked my office manager whether she was reconciling our office management financials with the bank statements and all the that muddy waters, I was trying to ask her about that. She would assure me that she was checking all that out, but she would never, you know, raise the hood and show me underneath what was happening.
1: And and to me, the, the takeaway here is that every employee in a dental practice needs oversight. And if somebody functions without oversight, which is, I think what you just said was, was kind of Lisa's condition, um, that's, that's when stuff's going to happen. Um, so, Wendy, any, any thoughts here?
4: I was just thinking about, um, yes, what you're saying is true. But but I do have to say, in this particular case, um, Hummingbird alerted David that there were some behavioral issues, and, and David attested to that. He had seen that in the past. So they hired Prosperity. But like David said, a little while after that, it was his CPA that contacted him and said, hey, I'm seeing a pretty big check here. Uh, did you write that? Did, did you authorize that? Now, David, I don't know if you had made Keith aware um, of what was going on in the practice or not about your suspicions, but I do have to give him props for calling David and saying this doesn't look right. Um, but one of my things I, I, I think that people get most confused about is the reconciliation that we're talking about in that when your CPA produces a PL and l for you, they're taking strictly the deposits that have gone in the bank. Well, the thing with theft is that the deposits disappear before they get into the bank. So if you're only looking at B, and you're excluding A, you have no idea if those are supposed to match or not and, or if they do match or not. And I'm working on a case right now of a young practitioner who, who just brought his first practice. And I won't go into all the details, although, you know, I know they're, I'm going to tell you they're fascinating because they are. Um. Well, this gentleman had the thought you know, I'm just going to take a basic Excel spreadsheet and I'm going to, in column A, put how much my practice management software records that was recorded in that software per each month. And then I'm just going to, you know, look at my bank statement up at the top and I'm going to see how much that is. And I'm just going to put them side by side and I'm just going to kind of keep a running tally of them. Right? Right. Just off the top of his head, doesn't know how to run a practice. He just thought, well, you know, this this might be a good thing to do. You know, he was short a couple of months in a row, and then wham, over four months, it was a hundred thousand dollars that went missing. And that's when he called us and he said, something is very wrong here. What my practice management software says, I recorded in revenue is not being deposited in my bank. And I just don't know where it's going. Um, well, obviously it, it it was going somewhere and we figured it out for him. Um, but anyway, that that's just to go to the point that a, a lot of people don't understand that CPAs don't reconcile. They think they do, but they don't bookkeepers reconcile. Yeah,
1: So true. And, uh, we, we have, uh, in the audience tonight uh a, a dental bookkeeper named Annette Woods and uh, she just put something in the chat where she said a practice should never do its own bookkeeping and she's she's so right um thanks Annette great to have you here so then the question comes up well what's it like to work with prosperity and let's let's hear what david said in recorded comments when whoops. Sorry, and um, as as part of the technical difficulties tonight, I'll mention that I'm not in my office. I'm actually in Boston for the Yankee Dental Conference, so we're we're doing this on not our usual gear, and that's that's part of the reason we've had a couple of slip ups. Let me try that again.
3: Yeah, okay, please work. When Prosperident asked me to provide access to certain things, payroll and. They actually did a, a mirror image of my server eventually and looked at everything in my practice management software. And as the investigation continued, I was I was floored, absolutely floored by the extent of the embezzlement and the the breadth of complexity of the multiple strategies being used in payroll and the company credit cards and the cash payments that were being diverted.
4: you know, i I have to compliment David Hughes as well because he was very proactive in getting us documents and things that we needed. I mean, I, <laughs> David, you remember we were trying to pull down some payroll records, and yeah. he, he didn't even have. He didn't even have access to his payroll records. He had been locked out of it.
3: And she she deleted everything on her computer in the few minutes that she had on the day that she left.
4: Yeah, But that's that's one of the main keys to a successful examination is if the client will get you the documentation that you need. And David was just awesome at that. I mean, no matter how hard he struggled trying to get new passwords and trying to prove that he was the actual owner of the business, even though he didn't have the password, um, he really struggled with that. But he did a good job. So my compliments to you, David.
1: Thank you.
3: I had two of my staff sidelined for four months cataloging all of the data before the report went to the police. So it's a lot of work, and, and it's a great distraction, as I mentioned, to the practice as a whole. So. Absolutely.
1: Um, and and just a reminder for the audience: we're we're getting close to the end of our kind of um, prepared part of the presentation, and um, after that, we're going to go to questions and answers. And and just a reminder to, uh, as you think of them, put your questions in the Q and A um amber's uh watching them quite closely with with wendy and they'll uh they'll kind of collate them and we'll use them in a few minutes when so we're we're almost there um i guess uh what we all want to hear from david is what did you learn from this and uh he, he he made some great remarks in in the recorded video so let's uh let's let's make that play i learned this lesson
3: the hardest way possible. And that is that doctors tend to focus on new patient um, starts, um, referrals, basically the production end of the practice, finances, once money comes into the practice and is flowing through the practice with the accounting systems, with accounts payable, accounts receivable, payroll. There, There are a lot of places where you can spring leaks both through negligence or just not following up with you know, insurance delinquencies, patient delinquency. There are lots of little procedural things that can make a leaky barrel problem, which is about competency and, and doing things the right way and on time. And I I did worry about those things a little bit and I would, I would obviously keep up with those numbers in the from the financial coordinator. But I didn't I didn't think of fraud as being one of those things.
4: I love that point, David, because it, it seems like every time I go to an orthodontic meeting, especially there are tons and tons of speakers on increasing production, um, how to connect with your referring offices, increase your referrals, increase your production and I, sometimes I think, man, we are missing a huge part of it. And that's the other side of it that the more you produce, the more you collect, the more money I have available to steal from. So, but I have a question for you. What are you doing differently now in your practice than you were prior to this event?
3: Well, It's actually fairly simple. I'm just watching everything that I should have been watching from the beginning. But more specifically, um, Prosperident has a like a prepackaged system that you can bring into your practice. It's called the practice protection system. I think that's called. Is that? Yeah.
1: Um, Owner owner proactive strategies.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yes. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel and it shows you step by step how to how to create these systems of oversight and it has procedures for each team member and the practice owner to um, follow up on all the different things that need to happen in the office so I'm reviewing statements and I'm reviewing um everything that I need to look at every month and we we run different kinds of reports that I didn't run before and I look at the um you know the closing out of the day and everything like that that we're we do' We had separation of duties before, which gave the appearance of oversight, but my office manager had manipulated the social structure of the office and um, Wendy can talk about that, where they can almost change the loyalty structure of the office and start becoming like a a competing like center of of, um, authority. And so they start calling the shots a little bit and like anyway, it's it's complicated, but um just follow that that system. It's it's much easier just to get that on board with the people that have seen everything and have covered all the bases with that system. So prosperity yeah, will help you with that. That's the main
1: thing to take away from this meeting, in my opinion, just to get on board with that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll just play his, his recorded comments quickly, but I, I think it's pretty similar. Yeah. Embezzlement,
3: dealing with embezzlement is about prevention. I, I'm i part of a an unenviable fraternity in my state with two other orthodontists that have had this happen to them. All three of us are speaking to our local societies to try to help others. You, you won't get your money back. You won't get your sleep back. Just prevent this from happening. Put the safeguards in place. Put, put, please work, work with prosperity. And I'm not aware of anyone else that does this and in, in, in the way that they do it and helps you.
1: Wow. Well, right. um, David, that was uh, that, that was great.
4: Can I say one more thing before we go before we move on real quick? I'm sorry. You, you know, I'm just attached to this case. I'm a, I'm attached to David Hughes. Um, just so everyone can kind of get the magnitude of of, of this, if you haven't already, um, this case went before a grand jury, and it, they did a true bill of 47 felony counts. That's amazing. It, it, it's shocking. It, it, it's shocking in Someone could steal that much. It's shocking that Dr. Hughes could have the wherewithal and the strength to withstand it and to go through it and come out on the other side as well. Um, So David, your case went before a grand jury, received a true bill. um, Charges were filed. She pled guilty. And so I think we covered where, where we are now with that. Um, you're still fighting for that. Although she's she's pled guilty, you haven't gotten to sense sentencing yet. It's been continued, right?
3: Correct.
1: It'll be finishing up at the end of February. OK, that's what I thought. Yeah, thank goodness. And I, I don't think in in the presentation we actually gave an amount to the audience. Um, and, and David, I know it's it's a, it's a little bit of an uncomfortable topic, but. Uh, why don't uh, why, why don't you give people some idea of what uh, what an enterprising thief can do to a doctor?
3: Well, when you spread it out over the number of years and you look at it in percentage terms, she was she was skimming during a period of growth where it was less easy to notice, but the the actual dollar amount was quite shocking. It's um, it was north of. 370,000 in money missing. But then in, in Wendy's report, after adding lawyers, fees, and other costs, um, I think the final number was 428,000. And that again has gone up because I've found many other instances since those numbers were compiled up to and including just this week, we found another completely novel strategy that she had been using for something different with health health insurance. I mean, yeah, like the employee benefits. So it's it's life-changing. Like it actually changes the timeline of like a retirement a little bit. I mean it's just not not a fun number to talk about, but that it's a high number.
4: Um one one other thing I'd like <laughs> Yeah, this is Q&A. <laughs> it's Q&A time. I'm sorry, I keep talking. Um, uh, another thing that I, I wanted to point out is um, a significant amount of this particular theft was committed through payroll fraud. Remember, there were four different methodologies through, and it's just absolutely disgusting. One of the things, we've always talked on our webinars about how difficult it is to prove payroll fraud beyond a reasonable doubt because it's always one person's word against another person's word. One thing that David had, which was like the foundation of his payroll case, is that in his policy manual, he had laid out and structured what raises were going to be based on and what bonuses were going to be based on. And when we when I first talked to David and we started talking about payroll, I thought, oh, no, I hope, oh, this is going to be difficult. I hope we have what we need. And sure enough, he said, well, it's it, it's right here in my policy manual. I'll send it to you. And there it was in writing. So props to him as well. And another example of why employee policy manuals are so, so very important.
2: Right. right yes Wendy that's something that's very near and dear to my heart as well I my previous payroll case didn't have as good as documentation so it was harder to prove so you you know 100%. how hard
4: they are They're, you know how mm-hmm. hard they are to fight unless you've got mm-hmm. proper documentation for them um right. so my friend Laurie wants to wants to know and wants us to speak to the staff manipulation issues that Dr Hughes alluded to um I can give my view on that. Um in that exactly like what David said, part of their gain is to get your loyalty away from the business owner and to them. That way, if they happen to see anything, if a staff member happens to see something, they won't say anything. If a staff member happens to see something, they'll think of the thief in the best light, if you will. Um, and number two, it's a, it's a position of power. That that's what I think it is. I think it's taking power away from the owner and placing it on yourself. And Dr. Hughes specific account, uh, um, instance, um, she would um, give generous loans to other staff members without seeking Dr. Hughes's consent prior to doing that. So that's one way that she gained their loyalty and bypassed him. It was like, shh, let's not tell Dr. Hughes because he might agree with it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it for you anyway. So that's, Dr. Hughes, do you have anything to yeah, add?
3: That's a good example, but she also managed to, at least make people believe that she had um, power over their employment at all because she managed, she would, I don't know. You could argue that she was successful in blackballing a couple of employees. Like she had my ear, I guess. And she let everyone know that if you like your job, you're going to, you know, just stay in line. And I, and she did that without my even seeing that side of her because she, she never really showed that that personality to me. Um, but it came out as you mm-hmm. mentioned when she was cornered at the very end, she lashed out in a way that I had never seen. So another, another psychology moment.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, we we are getting close to time, but uh, Amber, um, any questions that we want to uh, to bring forward?
2: Uh, I do have a question that somebody asked uh, about the payroll. Uh, Did you do payroll
3: in house or was it outsourced? So it's processed through an outside third party, a a large provider, ADP, everyone might know them. Um, Mm -hmm. And we would do the time and like the time sheets and everything was kind of transferred over from our practice management. So there's a lot of, it wasn't all that seamless. Um, And I would monitor certain parts of the payroll, but one thing I do differently now is that I'm the one clicking approve and I'm reviewing it. I don't let, no one finishes the payroll. They just fill in all the blanks and then I review it and approve it. I just did that an hour ago before this <laughs> seminar. That's a big thing that I do now that before I thought I was too busy to do, but I'm not too busy to do that now. Oh. Good for you. Um,
2: and then another question uh, for someone who arrived a little late, over what period of time? How how many years did the embezzlement occur? How long did it so occur? When was it a one year? Wor-
3: or two? So the employee worked for me for eleven years, and mm-hmm. the um, the embezzlement seems to have taken place only during the last five years, and that's based okay. on extrapolating backwards to when it seemed to go down to nothing. But I don't actually have bank records from that far back to investigate the very beginnings of it. So. Okay. About half the time. So that's another lesson: is that someone who is trustworthy perhaps won't necessarily stay that way. So you can't think of people as being static throughout their lives and throughout their time in the practice.
1: Yeah, you what what you said, David, almost verbatim is what I say to people. You know, we cannot view trust as a static concept that you you address once when you first meet somebody and then you never reopen again. I mean, people. Um, People's position in life change. Their their view of your practice and what their compensation should be uh, for being involved in it change. And unfortunately, as as uncomfortable a concept as this is for some people, trust is something we've got to reexamine. Yeah.
2: Exactly.
1: Right. We <laughs> probably have time for about one more question.
2: Uh, This is a good one. Was your legal counsel? Did you have legal advice, David, when you decided to terminate her? Did you confront her with what you had uncovered when you decided to terminate her?
3: Yeah. So I um I did get legal counsel before I even saw her. From the time that I realized something was wrong, or specifically wrong, to the time that I met her, I'd already been in touch with lawyers, and um she. She came into work the morning that I confront. Actually, it's funny. She, um, I didn't confront her initially. I just, she came into work a little bit late as usual for that time that she was with me. And she, she threw a little tantrum because she said she couldn't get into the payroll system or the bank. I had changed all the passwords and she was locked out and she was, she was upset. She didn't understand what was-
4: I bet was. <laughs>
3: And, um so I confronted her, and she I only talked to her for a short time, and she had to leave for for an appointment or something and i um she never came back to the office i I had lawyers involved with all of the firing process so you have to you have to have help with these things,
4: so someone at oh. I'm sorry. Someone asked, did did you, what was that last question, Amber? Did you immediately, did you immediately immediately end access to all all software?
3: Mm -hmm. I did. I did. But I guess she was locked out of everything, all the main systems. But the one thing she did is she deleted all of her work email, like 100% of her work email. That was one thing that we didn't get, but she... The other thing that took me a couple of weeks to remember is that she had the password to our security cameras. So she was at home watching us from home going around the office. And that's how I oh. found out that that's how I found out that there was a very incriminating file in one of these drawers. Cause I I went into her office and I opened this particular drawer and I got an immediate text from her saying, Oh, I just remembered there's a file. There's it's personal, it's not for the office. I just need you to mail it to me and that's the first file that we i drove it directly to the county the county seat to the police department that was <laughs> the first evidence of that <laughs> file it was it was full of personal stuff like house renovation level expenses which is what she was doing partly wow, wow. So, anyway so just yeah,
4: that's interesting too yeah. and i'm glad you brought that point up david because the has um an employee separation checklist.
3: Yes. Yes, that's correct.
4: Um, mm-hmm. Because I I love that you're getting, getting a firsthand account of things that you just don't think about. You know?
2: Right. Right.
4: Especially, you know, at this particular time period, I, I always say, I mean, you're heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind is blown. You're heartbroken. You're scared of what's going to happen to your business and your finances and how much is it and how deep does it go? And who would think change the password on your security camera?
1: Right.
4: Yeah. Right.
1: Totally understandable. Wow. We had had some terrific questions from people and I think we got to most of them. Um, If you do have questions about your own situation or you want to learn more about the the protection stuff that that David Hughes talked about. Uh, we're happy to talk to, talk to you after. Um, if you enjoyed tonight, especially our, uh, our our technical hiccup at the front when we had the the repeating loop going around, um, we would love you forever if you left us a five star Google review, and that's where you can do it. Um, a co- just a couple of things in closing. First of all, I would like to send a huge thank you to our guest, Dr. David Hughes. I mean, he came on here tonight, yeah, and and bared his soul uh for the for the benefit of the audience and we are we are just uh so grateful um and and also uh our our guest slash host wendy askins who uh was was there with david through this this whole process uh really great insight from both of you tonight um of course uh A- A- amber weber uh has been handling the questions as, as ably as she always does and uh our off-camera person sheila O'Driscoll who um many of you got uh got emails from and stuff um want to thank all them but but david hughes uh we are we are so grateful to have you uh i will mention that uh we asked david if he had a a specific charity that he supported and he mentioned operation smile uh and and we've uh, made a donation on his behalf so david thank, thank you. you again so much you're welcome thank you david thanks everyone um, and finally Hi. if you need to if you need to reach us there's how to do it um and I'd, I'd like to again thank our our guests our uh hosts and behind the camera crew and uh also your audience for for being there and and just amazing participation tonight I couldn't believe how much the the, the chat was lighting up and uh we also had some great questions uh we do not have a date or a topic for our next one yet uh we'll the the crew will be getting together in the next couple of weeks to decide on that we'll uh we'll get back to you. Uh we are certainly going to continue more stories like this where we have people who have learned some lessons the hard way come on and tell their story. So we we'll look forward to more of this in the future. Uh everybody enjoy the rest of your evening and uh we'll we'll all be back with you soon. Good night. Bye.
2: Good night. Okay. Bye.
1: hi, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Dental Practice Owners Podcast, brought to you by Prosperident. You can contact Prosperident through its website, www.prosperident.com, or by calling 888-398-2327. If you have questions about this podcast, if you would like to discuss your practice, or there is a topic you would like to see in a future podcast, we would love to hear from you. Amber, Wendy, and David will be back soon with another episode.